guys, you're listening to Beauty Bites with Dr. K, Secrets of a Plastic Surgeon. And today on the podcast, we are welcoming Dr. Jurgen Fravert. He is a scientist and he is the renowned inventor of Xeomin. And Xeomin, as you know, is a neurotoxin, one of my favorite neurotoxins, the production of this amazing molecule. And this product, I think we're in the infancy of plastic surgery, we're in the infancy of understanding how neurotoxins work. Um, he studied biochemistry in Germany, where he got his PhD. In his thesis work, he investigated the biosynthesis of plant organelles and enzymes of fatty acid metabolism. After doing a postdoctoral fellowship at UC Berkeley, he then attended his, began his career in 1983 at the Battelle Institute in Frankfurt in Germany. And he's responsible for all projects in biochemistry. So for example, for the development of detection methods for vaccines for bacterial toxins. In 1986, he became the section manager for cellular and molecular biology, where his work was focused on genetic engineering and cell biology. And he's become project manager and chief scientific officer um, since then, starting to cooperate with MERS Pharmaceuticals to develop the most pure Clostridium botulinum neurotoxin um, as a pharmaceutical. And so I uh, welcome you. In 2007, he was brought to MERS to be the head of botulinum toxin research. And he's continued to stay there for many years until recently he retired. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And um, now he's working as a consultant. So we are delighted to bring him on the podcast today because you have a wealth of knowledge, understanding, and experience about toxins. Um, what are you doing since you retired? I'm traveling. I'm traveling all over the world uh -huh. to give presentations about them in all different uh, continents. Recently I was in Australia, then I was in Asia, in Bangkok and Manila. Mm -hmm. And um, well, the last event was in Abu Dhabi, where I gave a presentation about Xeomin. So it's the Xeomin World Tour. It's the toxin yeah. tour. <laughs> yeah, so to speak, yeah. So to speak. And I like that. I like to to discuss with doctors about their questions concerning xeomine, yeah. concerning botulinum toxin, how it really works, what are the problems maybe, the difficulties, and uh, I like that. So you've been in scientific research for many years. Were you primarily in bench work or did you ever do clinical? Never clinical. I'm a biochemist, mm -hmm. so I cannot inject botulinum toxin, mm -hmm. but I know everything about the background, the scientific background about botulinum toxin and especially xeomine. So as a scientist working with botulinum toxin, were you inoculated with the Botox vaccine to protect yourself so you don't get extremely sick from lethal disease and die? That's the case. So um, maybe you have noticed my glabella lines and my forehead <laughs> lines. I cannot be treated. You can never get I, a Botox. Product which I developed because I have a very high titer against botulinum toxin. I'm really vaccinated. Um, to be protected against this toxic molecule. You know, in, in the beginning, uh, <coughs> when I worked with the production of botulinum toxin, uh, I worked with solutions with millions, millions of units per ml. Wow, so that's deadly. extremely, yeah. extremely toxic solutions. And uh, that was the reason why I was um, vaccinated, to be protected against uh, the toxicity of these solutions. Well, for those of you who don't know who are tuning in, um, research scientists that work with any kind of toxins, any kind of infectious disease, 
um, substances are typically vaccinated so that they can protect themselves against an accidental exposure or overexposure. So mm -hmm. how right. ironic that you've developed the, one of the best wrinkle relaxers in the world and you can't even participate in the <laughs> So in I the must live forehead. with my wrinkles. <laughs> I must live, maybe well, the titer is declining, so maybe in 20 years I could be treated. Well, or maybe in 20 years I'm not interested anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still very youthful in appearance. So it must come from all that intellectual stimulation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, so did you ever think going to graduate school at Berkeley that you'd end up investigating tox molecules or Botox type products? Not at all. How did you so ever when end I, up when in I started, that? So when I started with proteine toxin, I just could spell the word, mm -hmm. but I didn't know anything about it. So it was in this um, contract research organization, the Battelle Institute, it was my first project to work with botulinum toxin to purify Clostridium botulinum toxin type A. That must have been like, your mom must have been like, that is the worst job my son's yeah. gonna go work with toxins yeah. all day. <laughs> like, you know, you think of the hardest, most challenging, most like scary yeah. job ever. That's exactly, a scary first job. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But uh, over time, I, yeah. I learned to, to work with this toxin and uh, I think it's one of the most fascinating molecules in the world. Mm -hmm. There is no other chemical, no other material which, which has such a brilliant, uh, I would say, such brilliant properties as um, botulinum toxin. And at that time, when I started with botulinum toxin, it was not known that botulinum to uh, toxin could be used in therapy. Mm -hmm. It took a couple of years uh, until I learned that botulinum toxin can be used uh, in neurological diseases like uh, blepharospasm. And mm -hmm. Like dystonia. when your eyelids are blinking too yeah, much and exactly. your neck and muscles and are in torticollis or yeah, neck spasm. Exactly. So yeah. that were, were the first indications and um, I think it was in 1990 I became a consultant mm -hmm. uh, for a big company. I will not <coughs> name the company. Uh, I was um, a consultant and I learned about this um, product and uh, I learned that the product is based on the botulinum toxin complex. Mm -hmm. And that means uh, that the patients are not only treated with the active substance, which is necessary for the therapy, but uh, <coughs> in addition, other proteins, the complexing proteins, are injected into the patient. And uh, I thought, well, it's not necessary. Right. Why inject these bacterial proteins into patients? Makes no sense, because what the patient needs is just the neurotoxin nothing else. So if you're a patient who's listening or an injector who's listening, we're all aware that the, there are products that ra relax your wrinkles. The toxin component of that is a purified protein derivative that when it binds a certain way to your muscle cells helps inhibit contractions and there's exactly. no reason to have accessory junk proteins put into that vial. Exactly. So for example when the Botox company came out with their first patent for the brand name Botox molecule there were, there are accessory junk proteins in there. And yes. I think the rush to patent yes. a product to make it very, you know, like financially successful and, mm. and to put it to market and probably stream, streamline that process. So they mm. put it to market with junk proteins in it. And then the second generation product or the Xeomin product has actually filtered out 10 times. It's 10 times more pure than brand name Botox exactly. in terms yep. of accessory junk proteins. Yes. So if there's one takeaway for all injectors listening out there, this is a product that has 10 times less accessory junk proteins. And for me, I use a lot of Xeomin personally. I've used everything. However, 
I think as a young person, I don't need extra junk proteins to be put in every time yeah, I get an injection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, is, was that your main focus when you purified yeah, well, this molecule yeah. down? Uh, when I started with the botulinum toxin development, uh, there was uh, the opinion that the junk proteins, the extra proteins, the um, so-called complexing proteins, would be necessary for the stability. Right. It was thought that uh, the pure neurotoxin, as we have it in zeomine, is not stable enough, that it is denatured, right. that it is degraded after dilution and formulation and uh, drying. I was not of uh, this opinion. And as we now know, thanks to a lot of work I did, especially on weekends, uh, <laughs> Weekend I, could, warrior. Yeah, <laughs> I could develop a formulation which uh, provides a very stable product. You, you know that uh, zeomine is stable at room temperature. I do you can know that, store yes. it, You can store it at room temperature, whereas all the other products on the market. They're not as stable. Even the, the latest product on the market, they are only stable at two to eight degrees in the refrigerator. And uh, well, I That's can tell you the, 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 stability, um, the stability of zeomine is really awesome. I can tell you, you we have uh, stress stability studies in which uh, zeomine was stored at 60 degrees Celsius, uh -huh. 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. And guess how long zeomine was stable? How long? Four weeks. Really? Because I'm always rushing to put it back any in the refrigerator. <laughs> so in principle, this is of course uh, off-label, you yeah. could store a zeomine in, my in the pocket. dead belly. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. The, the, so it's, uh, it's a very stable product. And so that really demonstrates us uh, that the uh, extra protein, these um, other proteins are not necessary. So uh, the other aspect is immunogenicity. You know, when I started with botulinum toxin, um, I learned it's the botulinum toxin complex, which is injected into patient. And um, I uh, thought about immunological aspects. At the time, <coughs> it was clear that uh, some of the patients develop antibodies against the neurotoxin. And development of antibodies means that the activity of the botulinum toxin molecule is neutralized. Mm -hmm. So uh, patients can become non-responders. Right. So-called so secondary non-responders. And of course, a doctor should avoid the development of antibodies. And um, so I, um, I thought about um, maybe at that time I, it was just a concept or a thinking, maybe the complexing proteins, um, they are not necessary for um, the activity of the neurotoxin, but may maybe they are, so, so to speak, necessary for the immune response against botulinum toxin. Mm -hmm. Botulinum toxin is a foreign molecule, an antigen, so the body can form antibodies against uh, the neurotoxin. The antibodies neutralize the botulinum toxin, as I have mentioned. So um, one should avoid the development of antibodies. At the time, um, when I started in the 90s, I didn't know uh, about um, all the different um, relationships between antibody formation and proteins. Mm -hmm. But we know uh, uh, right now that um, the formation of antibodies is directed by special signals from the antigen or from other molecules which are injected into patients. Mm -hmm. um, let me dive a little bit into immunology. Um, 
The well, for those of you guys listening too, I want to make one thing very clear that we have patients who don't respond sometimes yep. to Botox. And we have patients who've been on a certain dose and require higher and higher and higher doses and more frequent recurring appointments. So I think this problem is very real, yeah. that you, pa you can develop a sensitivity and um, an immune response where your body is recognizing the foreign mm. molecule and kicking it out faster. Yep. And I don't know that we have studies that prove this as much as it's a theoretical possibility, but what do you think? <coughs> well, uh, we know that the immune system must be stimulated to produce antibodies against an antigen. Yes. And that is called in immunology, uh, they need a dangerous signal. Yes. The so-called dendritic cells, you know dendritic cells, lung yeah. cells, for example, are dendritic cells. Yes. These cells must be activated. Botulinum toxin itself cannot activate because it doesn't bind to dendritic cells, but other proteins, the complexing proteins, not necessary for the therapy, mm -hmm. but necessary, so to speak, for the activation of uh, dendritic cells, the, these um, proteins can activate the dendritic cells, mm -hmm. and the activated dendritic cells then take up the neurotoxin, and that is the first step for the development of uh, antibodies against the neurotoxin. Okay. And when these antibodies are developed, that could be the end of the therapy, in mm -hmm. the end. Well, and that's like your case. Yeah. You're, you're vaccinated against botulinum yeah. toxins. There is definitely a possibility of building an immune response depending on definitely. your exposure and how you were treated. How many inoculations did you need with Botox? Uh, three, the inoculation with uh, this vaccine. It's, it's a special experimental vaccine, yeah. which was at that time available. I think it's not available It's a anymore. bazillion times stronger than anything we give for a forehead injection. So it's not that comparable, but the concept being that yeah, repeat exposure can give you yeah. tolerance. I exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, that was an active vaccination, so to speak. Yeah, on purpose. But um, in, in the case of patients, it's uh, not intended, of course. Right. But it can happen to some patients. Do you think patients. it only happens with our neurology patients? So we see patients who have no neurologic disorders where they're getting high, high doses of 300, 400 units of toxin for migraines, for blepharospasm, mm. cervical torticollis. Is that only happening with those patients that get extreme doses? versus the people who get 20 units in the glabella is very, very, very minimal. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, the dose is much, much higher. And uh, so the risk or the chance uh, that antibodies are developed is, uh, is more, is increased, of course. Of course. Higher. And there was a <coughs> recent publication in, in which is, uh, it was shown that in neurological diseases, 14% of the patients over five to six years Mm -hmm. develop antibodies against the neurotoxin. That's very but high. as you mentioned, the dose is higher, 14% is very high. Very high. Very yeah. high um, percentage. The percentage in uh, aesthetic indications is certainly lower, mm -hmm. but it is existent. And uh, there are a couple of publications which really demonstrate or which really report that antibodies, neutralizing antibodies, are formed in patients treated for glabella lines or forehead lines. And uh, in the end, these patients couldn't be treated anymore because the antibodies neutralized the effect of the botulinum toxin. Right. And uh, one can imagine uh, when um, patients are treated over a long time, and uh, as I, I have learned that uh, patients are starting to become treated in Young, in their 20s. Yeah, in yes. their 20s. Me, so they, 27, yeah, right here. Yeah. So they are treated over a long time. 
Mm -hmm. And so the doctor must be really sure that this patient can be treated in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years. And so, um, I want to emphasize that because I think injectors out there and patients are very eager to come in for their treatments. Yeah. And I do think we always want to use the lowest dose possible to achieve the results that we're after. And we, with the right interval, like wait till your yeah. toxin has expired before you redose. Because yeah. I do have some patients who just want to come in for a little sprinkle in between sprinkles in between sprinkles. Hmm. And then it becomes like, every month that mm. you're seeing little lines and that's probably not the best way to do your Botox treatments. Uh, that's, that's right, but um, um, concerning zeomine, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Uh, there was a study, again in neurology, that you have uh, of course higher <coughs> doses, but even with these higher doses it was demonstrated when there was an injection after a couple of weeks, there was no development of antibodies. Mm -hmm. So with zeomine, you are on the safe side. You, you say that very definitively. Yeah, yeah, I think because uh, you have um, uh, a product with not these uh, complexing proteins, mm -hmm. and the complexing proteins are stimulants of the immune system. We don't have this stimulant in the in, uh, zeomine, so the risk that antibodies are produced is very, very low. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, I, I'm not so keen to say that it is not existent. Right. Uh, because uh, there can also uh, be an immune response against zeomine. I cannot exclude that. Because uh, the immune system is also, or can be activated by injection. When you inject. Just the simple act of yeah, putting this. Just only the pierce. injection. Because when you inject, you destroy cells. Yeah. And this, uh, these destroyed cells can um, release some proteins. activators, mm -hmm. some proteins which also can activate uh, dendritic cells. But mm. um, this is for all the products. Yeah. But the advantage of zeomine is, of course, that there is only this effect. In the other products, you have other proteins, the complexing proteins, and there e there's even a, a contamination in this part, a protein called flagellin. Mm -hmm. which is a real strong activator of dendritic cells. Mm -hmm. So um, from that perspective... Why do you call it a contamination? Um, well, a contamination because it does not belong to the complex. Mm. In Botox... So they've added it for no reason? No, uh, it's a, <coughs> a consequence of the purification procedure. Oh, okay. They have a, a special purification procedure, but the, this purification uh, procedure was not... Um, effective enough mm -hmm. so that other proteins which do not belong to the complex are in this spot, just contamination. I, I call that really contamination. Mm. How do you think that other companies would um, criticize this view? Because uh, I think other companies might be apt to say that there isn't a proven science that proves that their product causes antibody problems. Well, we, we know from the uh, publications that, um, especially in the neurological field, that uh, Botox and Dysport induce the formation of antibodies. I have uh, mentioned the study, 14% yeah. of uh, the, the patients developed antibodies. And in uh, this uh, study, it was shown that uh, bo uh, Botox... Well, what is their response to that? How does the Botox and Dysport I don't know how respond? they... Well, they... Uh, I have uh, discussions with... Um, other rep representatives of the, of the companies, 
and uh, they tell me, well, the uh, proportion of antibody formation is very low, right. and we must not care about it. Okay. But even you can imagine even uh, one percent, one percent um, secondary non-responders um, of let's say hundred thousand patients. Yeah. Is thousand lot. patients that can no thousand longer patients get that develop therapy. antibodies. Mm -hmm. So you cannot really neglect it. Mm -hmm. It is a fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to uh, deal with that. If you become resistant to one toxin, can you just jump ship and go to the next toxin? Although there is one case uh, reported that a patient um, uh, that was a musician, not in uh, mm -hmm. aesthetic, it was a musician who got a hand dystomy and couldn't play uh, violin anymore. Mm -hmm. um, he <coughs> was a secondary uh, non-responder to Dysport and he was also treated with Botox, and then he could be successfully treated with Xeomin. Mm -hmm. But that is an exception. Usually, um, it's not possible to treat um, a secondary non-responder with Xeomin or any other product, because the active molecule, the neurotoxin, is very similar mm -hmm. in all the products. You have the chance, because um, antibody bind to so-called um, conformation epitopes, that means the structure, how the protein is folded, plays a role on the uh, structure of um, the immune response. But um, in some single cases, it's, it's possible to treat a secondary non-responder with zeomine, but usually you have to wait two years, three years, until the antibody titer has declined, mm -hmm. and then the patient can be treated again. Right. So I think it's very complex, but it seems like we're okay being the test generation. You don't think that 50 years from now everyone will come down with a neurologic disorder or cancer or something devastating from having used botulinum toxin? I don't think so. It's a very safe product. It really it's, is. It is what do you, how safe would product. you answer patients' fears? Because <laughs> so many patients are of the mindset that they want to live in a purely organic world and have only green things and not have anything you know put in their body that's not absolutely... Um, nature made, but how would you respond to that? It's nature, nature made. made. Yes. It's an organic it's molecule. In a it's a biomolecule, <laughs> so to speak. It really it's is. Nothing artificial. The the only problem is it is a toxin. It yes. is a toxin, and uh, when people hear uh, toxin, well, they get is afraid of it. Is there a better it. word but that we should use other than toxin? Because well, it sounds so toxic. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> it is a toxin. It's but uh, you know, a lot of. Um, Pharmaceuticals, which are uh, injected or which yeah. are just uh, swallowed, yeah. are toxin. Are toxin? Yeah, it like digitalis, yeah, you know, from exactly. plants that helps heart patients. Is exactly, definitely it's, a poison. It actually, it's definitely the poison. And you yes. know that the um, difference uh, we call it the pharmacological window, the um, difference between the active uh, dose and the lethal dose mm -hmm. in botulinum toxin is much, much higher than Digitalis, for example. Mm -hmm. Much, much higher. Mm -hmm. From that uh, standpoint, it's a, it's a very safe product if you inject mm -hmm. uh, the right dose. Yeah. You must not inject millions of units. You exactly. cannot inject it because... So it's very, you know, it's it's very studied. Yeah. I think the most comforting thing to consumers needs to be that this product is very studied. We're yeah. so aware of its potency that we treat it with very careful techniques to make sure you get extremely precise accurate measurements, which when we use them, 
gives muscle relaxation and not anything toxic or bad. Exactly. And similar to digitalis, which comes from a flower or plant or a natural source, that's a poison. It helps heart patients. This is also a toxin. It comes from a bacteria, mm -hmm. a form of life, and it's harvested and purified and made ultra-pure in the form yeah. of xeomin, for sure. Tell me about what you think xeomin will, how xeomin may change in the next few years coming up. Are there any studies coming about to make it a different product or to evolve it to, you know, the next generation xeomin? Uh, the next generation xeomin, well, I can <laughs> talk Don't about it. Don't tell me <laughs> your trade secrets, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> are there, secrets, you must have thought uh, about this yeah. very long and hard, like yeah, there yeah. must be levels of excellence that we can achieve beyond this. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, all the companies on the market with botulinum toxin products um, <coughs> are in the process of developing a liquid formulation. Mm -hmm. So uh, that might be the And they're ready uh, to use shot. Yeah, ready yeah. to use in a preferred syringe. So there won't be then maybe the injector error yeah. or dilutional yeah. Yeah. technique exactly. problems. So yeah. that will be the next step. And... Um, I'm not I sure injectors will like that, frankly. Yeah. I kind of I like the process of yeah. mixing it myself yeah. and controlling yeah. the volumes and the dilution. Exactly. So the doctor has uh, the flexibility yeah. to uh, reconstitute it with one, 2.5 ml, right. 4 ml, and so on. So uh, the doctor loses the flexibility the when, mm -hmm. when there is a preferred syringe or a solution in a vial. He mm -hmm. has to stick to this concentration. And from that standpoint, uh, it's not um, uh, such a great approach, I would say. When, when I started with um, Xeomin, mm -hmm. at that time, we also thought about uh, liquid formulation, but uh, our decision or the last, um, decision was to uh, use a lyophilizate, mm -hmm. to develop such a lyophilizate because of the flexibility. And um, Maybe the third generation, or later on, we don't know it, uh, that might be a longer-lasting botulinum toxin. And I work well, in this field, and uh, it's re really challenging and uh, very Very attractive. interesting. Yeah. In terms of um, reconstitution, there was a paper presented at the Mexis meeting this last weekend in Munich in Germany, the MERS experts mm -hmm. meeting, where they talked about using a hyper-dilute solution so actually diluting their vial of xeomin with almost six cc's of mm. saline, which is unusual because we usually use about two, two to th two and a half. What do you think of that, that that hyper-diluted um, xeomin use could be as effective or more effective? Well, from my uh, scientific point of view, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. Did I you review that paper? <laughs> no, no, I, I, d okay. I do not know anything about it. I only oh, heard okay. rumors about it. Yes. I've not seen the it data. It hasn't been published yet. Yeah. But yeah. It is not published. I heard rumors, and I uh, learned that it will be presented at the MAX meeting. Yeah. But I have no data, and oh, I don't okay. know how it was really how reconstituted was and, and so on. But it's an interesting theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's an interesting theory. from. Uh, yeah, from the theory, um, I would have um, I can't imagine assumed how it would the work, contrary because mm -hmm. if you have a high um, dilution, mm -hmm. you usually have a little bit more spread. Yes. And when you have more spread, you lose product. Right. So from that, I would uh, have the suspicion that the duration of effect would be less. But okay, I have to see the data, and then I can uh, tell you more about that. For sure. 
Um, so I wanted to bring up one point for injectors who are listening that um, the Botox and Azumin products should be injected intramuscularly because I see on Instagram and all kinds of places people injecting intradermal inter in the cutaneous level of the skin, which is great if you're trying to make that glassy skin pore tightening yeah. look, but otherwise ineffective. Exactly. Absolutely, exactly. Because you must inject into the muscle. Right. When you want to treat the muscle, when you want to uh, treat the forehead lines, when you treat, want to treat crow's feet, you must inject into the muscles. Because there is uh, the, the place or the site where the botulinum toxin works. That's right. And uh, the best technique is to inject it very close to the motor end plates. Mm -hmm. So the distance between the injection site and the motor end plates is very small. Well, that we can't visualize, yeah. but... Yeah, but uh, from theory. But theoretically, yeah, 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 if only we could. I did read some interesting study, you know, we were talking about diffusion of product, etc., where um, they measured that uh, they were doing studies of orbicularis mm. injections for patients with blepharospasm, and they did electron micrography and EMG studies showing contraction of single unit muscle groups mm. around the eye. Yeah. And it was shocking to me that when they injected, ophthalmologists injected just the crow's feet, just these small units around the eye, but they found distal changes in the fingertip muscles. What do you think of that? <coughs> yeah, that is uh, known for quite some time. Okay, from that neurology. freaked me out yeah. Because, yeah, because if I'm injecting the yeah, crow's feet, yeah. why am I going to have neuromuscular yeah. changes yeah. in the fingertips? Uh, the thing is that uh, not all the botulinum toxin molecules stay in the muscle which you inject. Correct. Some of the molecules can leave the muscle and it depends a little bit on the dose, it depends a little bit on the muscle size, on the texture of the muscle, but definitely molecules will leave the injected muscle. And with very sensitive techniques, and we, uh, the, you mentioned that there's a special technique called, uh, well, they measure the, the jitter, yeah. the special technique, and um, you can uh, really analyze that there is a distant effect, mm -hmm. but that has no clinical relevance. Okay. It only tells us, well, some molecules, right. that are only molecules, are leaving the injected muscle. Not all, all the dose, not the whole dose which you inject stays where you inject. Mm -hmm. I think the field of using neurotoxins all around the body is relatively young. Um, yeah. It's very interesting that you know now we're able to mm. use neurotoxins for migraine relief, mm. as well as for improvement of people who have problems with tight sphincter control mm. or yeah. relaxing yeah. areas. But it's really amazing that mm. they're even thinking of using it for coronary arteries that go into vasospasm. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's some future applications of um, neurotoxins that we haven't thought of that are coming? I think so. How about like depression treatment? Yeah, well, uh, this is also an interesting um, indication. Uh, but it's more an indirect effect, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's based on this um, facial feedback theory, which was originally described by Charles Darwin. Mm. Oh, really? So, yeah. So that um, the um, yeah how you look, mm -hmm. how you look has an effect on how you feel. Yes. Very interesting. Yes. And uh, when you um, yeah, treated uh, for the when how you lines. look when you look in the mirror, or mm. how you look in terms of your muscle position. Uh, the muscle positions, I think. So you even if a, you, Charles Darwin didn't yeah, have a yeah, ton of mirrors yeah, around, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. so well, it's not so um, so simple because there are a lot of different effects. Yeah. Because when you um, <coughs> uh, look to another uh, person mm -hmm. and uh, you look a little bit, you look do not look angry. Yeah. You look um, relaxed and relaxed and nice and mm -hmm. so on. 
that has an effect on uh, on your partner on the other on the, the, other, on the other side mm -hmm. and that is reflected to you and that has also a feedback um, information to your brain so a lot lot of different effects in the, in this area and um, well we will see whether it's uh, in a clinical study it re can really be demonstrated that uh, botulinum toxin could be used in depression it's a very interesting um, research yeah a very interesting um, aspect and I think in the future there will be more interesting indications because um, doctors are very creative you know and they try out botulinum toxin here and there and there and um, so I think in the future there will be much more researchers are very creative too yeah I, I understand that you um, ha you're an inspiration hmm. you've created artificial human skin um, in order to aid and help wounded burn yeah. victims. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Oh, that is a long time ago. <laughs> I know, but it's yeah. so interesting. Well, the thing is, uh, it is uh, really possible to grow skin cells, mm -hmm. keratinocytes, in a, in a flask. And uh, it's possible then to transfer this, uh, and it forms, um, an ad I would call it an artificial epithelium, to transfer this epithelium on wounds. Yes. And that increases the wound healing. And we had a special project with Ulcus um, uh, cruris, you know, the, um, an Ulcus at, um, at, the, at the leg. And it is really uh, possible to cure these, um, these uh, yeah, how do you can Oh, uh, ulcers. 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 Exactly. Okay. ulcers. I was trying to and translate yeah. that. <laughs> okay, answers. <laughs> okay, I couldn't, didn't find the word. And uh, we had also uh, activities on um, on burn wounds. Yes. Where these artificial skin yeah. layers were transplanted onto burn wounds, and it really helped. That's really fascinating. So a very interesting uh, project, but yeah. that's a long time ago. So I think now there are companies uh, who are working in this field. That definitely. In the future, there are a few more toxins poised to hit the market. Yeah. What do you think about Daxi coming out? Uh, you know, do you think that Revance has a product that's going to last six months? Uh, six-month Botox that's supposed to come out in a few months? Uh, what do you think of that? I think it's uh, just a matter of dose. It's just a dose effect. And you know, um, Revance... That's a super high dose of toxin yeah, in the bottle. Uh, they, well, they injected uh, 40 units of their product and compared it with 20 units of Botox. Mm. And no wonder a longer duration of effect. Hmm. That doesn't uh, surprise me because uh, the uh, duration of effect is, of course, dependent on the dose which you inject. Uh, the duration of uh, effect is controlled or determined by the number of botulinum toxin molecules right. in the nerve cell. Mm -hmm. So if you inject a higher dose, more molecules enter the neuron, mm -hmm. then you have uh, uh, more molecules, a higher concentration in the neuron, and a higher concentration means that it takes longer to degrade mm -hmm. the botulinum neurotoxin molecules because duration of effect is dependent on the degradation of the so-called light chain of the botulinum toxin molecule, mm -hmm. and more light chain, uh, longer duration of effect. It takes longer to degrade all the light chain molecules in, in the neuron. And from that, Why it's not... Why does it take longer? Are there certain enzymes that are degrading the light chain molecules a, so they get yeah, busy and yeah. there's some overflow? It's a, it's a special um, mechanism 
which mm -hmm. I will not uh, <coughs> yeah. describe in detail. It's a little bit complicated why uh, the duration of effect of uh, toxin, borderline toxin type A is so right, long, right. a couple of months and so on. But uh, it's a special mechanism and uh, the more molecules you have in the cell, uh, the longer it takes. If you inject, and vice versa, if you inject, for example, in the glabella, only 10 units, yeah. you have less molecules in uh, the nerve cell and you have a shorter duration of effect. If you inject... Wait, I want to repeat that because for all my patients who come tell me exactly how many, many units they need, 10 <laughs> units does not last very long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it lasts uh, a shorter time, of course, yes. because you have less molecules. And, and the contrary is true as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if you inject 40 units, yes. you have a longer duration of effect because more molecules, as I right. have to explain. But there is no... Uh, um, linearity, so to speak. That doesn't mean if you inject 40 units, the duration of effect would be double the duration of 20 units. And so in the you study think by Daxi is getting longer results because they've given a double the dose. Exactly. It has nothing well, to do. Well, they said something yeah. about some special complexing yeah. proteins that give uh, them some magic juice. Yeah. That's what do you think of that? Yeah, that is a special protein or peptide which is derived from the HIV a HI virus and uh, this special protein has uh, the capacity in the HI virus to um, penetrate through membranes. Mm -hmm. This is po uh, usually not possible for a protein to uh, penetrate through a membrane into the cell and the first project by Rivens, maybe you know that, was to use this peptide to develop a topical application. Yes, topical Botox. Topical botulinum toxin. Right. But that didn't work. Sadly. I will not go, mm -hmm. I will not go into detail because uh, well, yeah, I will not describe it in detail. And they learned that it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So they switched their strategy and now claim that this uh, special peptide is responsible for longer duration of effect. And the theory is that this, um, but, uh, that this peptide uh, RTOO2, I think they call mm -hmm. it, but that doesn't, it's a, this special peptide that it binds to the botulinum toxin. And uh, because of its charge, it has a high positive charge, it stays longer in the tissue, and that uh, increases the chance <coughs> that, that more molecules are taken up by the neuron. Mm -hmm. But that is not the case. The, this um, HIV-derived uh, um, um, peptide has no function at all. Hmm. No function at all. The uh, <coughs> longer duration of effect is only a consequence of higher dose. And that was uh, really shown. Now I must uh, um, quote, so to speak, uh, elegant. They had also carried out a study with 40 units Botox. Yeah. It was not a head-to-head -head study, but when you compare the response no, 60. rate... 60. Wasn't it 60 units in the forehead? And uh, no, it was uh, in this study, which I, it, it, it's uh, not uh, really published as a scientific paper, just a press release by, mm -hmm. by Elegance, so uh, mm -hmm. you can have some doubts. But nevertheless, they showed <coughs> that uh, with 40 units um, uh, um, Botox, the response rate was very similar to the response rate with 40 units of uh, Daxi. Mm. No okay. real difference. Got it. Uh, I don't have the numbers, but... Uh, I haven't seen that either, yeah. but it's interesting. <coughs> so I think so time will tell. Yeah. 
But exactly. um, it sounds like you're not going to yeah. buy any stock in Revance. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot recommend <laughs> that, by the way. And uh, I just could mention another stu study which was... Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Juvo, which people have yeah. also heard of. Any special thoughts about Juvo or what well, you're... Well, Juvo is uh, more or less a biosimilar to Boathouse. Yeah. Nothing else. And uh, from my perspective, uh, it's um, a less pure Botox, so to speak. Because in Botox, and uh, I know that for sure, there's only this big complex. Mm -hmm. And in Javot, they have a little bit, not much, but a little bit of a smaller complex. Yes. Uh, from a scientific point of view, um, the uh, existence of the complex doesn't play a role. Mm -hmm. These are all, as we have discussed, um, unnecessary proteins for right. the uh, for the therapy, all these complex proteins. So it doesn't matter whether it's this mm -hmm. complex or that complex. But uh, the claim by Jevaux, by Nabuto or Evolus that they have such a pure uh, complex that is not really true. Mm -hmm. They they have uh, really published it's a mixture of uh, complexes. So from that standpoint, uh, it's a, it's not a correct uh, message. They said that their manufacturing process uses high pure technology, but I don't think that they say anything about the molecule purity. Mm, yeah. So you're right, yeah. yeah. So basically, yeah. out of all our four toxins available on the market, Juvo, Xeomin, Dysport, and mm, brand yeah. name Botox, the Xeomin is the one that has the highest, um, most impressive mm, purity mm. profile. And I exactly. think for me, that matters like as an injector, as a physician, as someone who uses the product herself, um, my patients always ask me, "What do you, what do you recommend? What mm. do you use?" So I'm compelled to say they're they're all great. They all are FDA yeah. approved, and um, I think they work similarly. They last the same. They cost the same. So for me, I choose something that has the best purity mm. profile because I just don't need to put extra accessory junk proteins in me. Because why would I do that? So I want everybody to think about that. Because why would I do that? Um, while we have that purity and the technology available, mm -hmm. we should definitely be mindful of what we put in ourselves. Um, and I know you believe me. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's been of so course. interesting chatting with you. If I, would be, if I you. would be a patient. Of all the most impartial yeah. people in the world to talk to, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, if you were I, to be a patient. If I would be a patient, it would be. Um, I would take the most purest product. Yeah. Why? inject uh, other proteins by yeah. inject other materials why has me? MERS not come out with a bigger campaign to like bring this to patients attention because like I want to know and I think I'm the only one talking about it me and a few other select yeah. doctors and like I, I really think that we're all brought up in an Allergan branded mm. world and I love Allergan products I had Brent Saunders on this podcast mm. I think they're a great company and they've helped pave the way but I also sure. think that the first generation yeah. with the rush to market, rush to patent, um, there is room for improvements. And I think if we can get a product that has more purity and we can get the conversation started at least. As scientists, we need to have this conversation to figure out. Like, it's not enough to ride on the laurels of the last mm -hmm. 20 years of research. The next level toxin and the more pure and the more precise, the better we can make aesthetic medicine, yes. the better yeah. for all of yeah. us, I think. Yeah. And Definitely. on that... <laughs> On that positive note, so enough talk about toxins. What do you like to do in your free time now that you're retired? Uh, giving presentations about zeomine. Yeah, and it's your uh, passion, I, also, I can tell. I like um, novels, reading novels. I like music, classical music, and uh, that's what I'm doing. 
That's amazing. But it's very, it must be so interesting to get these questions. Are the questions yeah. the same all around the world? Uh, well, from time to time I have different questions, um, a lot of different, uh, different discussions. And uh, I think we covered, I would say, maybe 80% of mm -hmm. all the questions which I'm con confronted with. There are a couple of well, questions like, uh, <coughs> is um, uh, zeomine allergenic, for example? That is mm -hmm. a question oh, I'm Oh, can you become allergic to it? Can, can you become allergic yeah. to uh, zeomine, or uh, is, is it possible to uh, inject pregnant human? <laughs> this, no, this, it's not yeah, possible. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we are never going to do yeah, that research. Yeah. You just have and to be yeah, wrinkly yeah. for nine months. Exactly. Yes. And, and, uh, and questions like that. Yeah. So, so that there are a lot of um, single aspects. Yeah. It is allergenic mm. in terms of you can be allergic to albumin or some of the components of the delivery vehicle, right? Uh, yes, but the botulinum toxin in very, very, very rare cases. I'm only aware of one case. Uh, where it could be um, shown in some degree with a, there's a allergy test called the prick assay mm. that probably the neurotoxin was allergic in this patient. Interesting. But this is only one case. Super rare. Yeah, super rare. Super rare. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming all this way to visit me in Los Angeles in the office. And um, you're like one of my heroes. Thank developer you. of Zeman. I'm going to have to get your autograph on a box of Zeman. Okay. <laughs> I got it 100%. right here. Okay. Um, it would be very fascinating to continue this conversation with mm -hmm. you as this yeah. technology evolves. And I hope to bring this information to all of our listeners. And I want to emphasize that I'm impartial. I'm a scientist and I want to do what's best for my listeners and my followers and my patients, most of all myself, my family. So I choose products that I'm consistently comfortable with, and Zeman's my preference. Uh, I, that's the toxin that I use yeah. for myself, um, but mainly because of the science. Mm, yeah. There's so many possibilities and choices out there, and if you do your research and pick what's right for you, and um, encourage you to ask lots of questions. But thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and that's it for now. I hope you guys learned a lot. Don't forget to find me on my Instagram, Doing Amazing Things with People's Faces. It's Beauty by Dr. K, D-R-K-A-Y. And my website is the same, beautybydrk.com. And um, I hope you'll start an Instagram as you tour around the world. People will want to keep in touch with you. Okay. You, you will be impressed. Good. You can literally write a book with the results of this world okay. tour. So I'm going to help you start your Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for now, guys. Stay Thank beautiful. You.